Hello there to all of our educators and leaders in education listening. Welcome to Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. This podcast is a collaboration produced by the Georgia Department of Education and Georgia Public Broadcasting to enrich your classrooms. I'm Ashley Mingwasser here to bring you more of season four. You know how two things can be great apart, but even better together? There's jelly, there's peanut butter, but then there's peanut butter and jelly, indisputable pleasure of the palate. There's showering and there's singing, but then they're singing in the shower. And who isn't Aretha Franklin with those acoustics? On this podcast series, we've already championed literacy and we've celebrated leadership. Today, we'd like to give you the Better Together version, an episode on literacy leadership. And fundamental to leading literacy breakthroughs in our schools is today's topic, screeners and interventions. Screener has fun and multifaceted meanings in our language. Screener can mean a first look at a film or media product. It can mean dirt-moving equipment, that's true, like crushers and screener machines that work the land. In education, a screener can be a skills check, a window into a student's world of concept mastery. Beside me is a truly energizing personality, beaming out a beacon of literacy light in Georgia. It's time to herald the Herod. Beth Herod joins us, Elementary Curriculum Director for Gordon County Schools in Calhoun, Georgia. Welcome, Beth. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I can (laughs) see. I said you would be beaming this energy out. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. It's so nice to meet you in person. I love all the podcasts. So That's what we like to hear, (laughs) Beth. We're going to have to record a testimonial before you leave. (laughs) I see you came prepared, which I totally gleaned from my first introduction to you. This is your 26th year in education. You told me you were once a literacy coach, which I think is one of the coolest jobs. And now you're in year 10 as a curriculum director. First of all, that's commitment. But what do you like about directing curriculum? Well, you know, when I first left the classroom and in the school with with students and teachers, I miss that. And, you know, I've had students reach out over the years. But what I like about this is that I get to reach a lot of different people and things that I'm passionate about. I can share that passion with others. And so that part of it I really like. And I, I really love, I'm, I'm a curriculum director in the town I grew up in. And so Aww. I like to see that I'm making a difference there because they made a difference for me. So. And home sweet home. That's right. And what is the role, if you will, of a curriculum director? Well, in a small system like Gordon County, I wear a lot of different hats. You know, So I work with all of our students from early learning all the way to fifth grade. And so I support and lead our principals in making decisions instructionally. Um, I also, you know, with the, with the different um, obligations and requirements from the state level and, and local level, I make sure that we follow all of those. But most importantly, I support our teachers. I love that. And how about behind Beth? Who are you as an individual? Tell me <laughs> well, about yourself. Okay. I um, have two children, I have a 24-year-old and a 14-year-old. And um, besides this career, they've definitely been the center of everything. And then I have a husband who stuck by me for 25 years. Aww. And I was nervous coming today. And he said, Beth, you talk about this all the time. You're going to be fine. <laughs> exactly. You know your content. <laughs> we summoned you, obviously, because our teams at uh, the Georgia Department of Education consider you to be a great exemplar for literacy leadership. Why don't you tell us why that is? What is going well with literacy at Gordon County? 
Okay, well, I, I'm fortunate. I worked for a great school system with a very supportive superintendent and assistant superintendent. And I think what we are doing that sets us apart, that makes us successful, is that we have had screeners in place for a while. And I think it's how we use the data to make decisions for our students. Our superintendent definitely gives us the opportunity to look at um Within our schools, we have close relationships with our principals so that we can sit down and have honest and transparent conversations about, you know, the, the students that are struggling and why they struggle and then the different things that we can put in place. And also, um, our team works very closely to make sure that when you look at the data, we have interventions that we can provide for our students. And so I think probably the strength of it is the process and procedure that we have in place. Let's look at student literacy in Georgia at this moment statistically. Beth, uh, a math teacher, would be very proud of us right now for including math in a literacy episode, just saying. In late July, Georgia DOE released stats showing that the percentage of third grade students in Georgia who are reading on or above grade level had increased three percentage points over the past year. Give us a little more lay of the land. What are some current literacy stats that tell us how students in Georgia are actually doing in this regard? If you look at the National Center for Educational Statistics, which goes, that's in the news a lot. Yes. And you see where we are there. Comparatively with other states. Yes. And it's important that we do that. Of course. Um, In uh, fourth grade, which is the year that it's tested, we had 32% in 2022. And really, there was no difference from the last time that data was collected in 2019. It was at 32%. So that's telling us. Mm -hmm. So when I look at, you know, 2022 to 2023 Georgia data, and then I look at the NAEP data, I see that we're kind of, we're we're stagnant, we're kind of staying the same, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'd like to see two things, the percentage higher, but I also would like to see um, some change there in what we're doing, which I think that says a lot about what our state is doing legislatively. Which is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I know you want to share some Mm -hmm. of that with us as well. Okay, very cool. Well, we know that the relationship with reading that a student has matters. That's kind of fundamental to the experience that they're having with literacy. In your experience and your observations now, do you find that students are reading for fun or are they mostly reading for school? Um, It's interesting that you ask that because literacy has been something that I've just been really interested in the last few years. And And I think I told you this the other day. I've been in a little bit of a campaign when we travel and there's young people that are working in the hotel or whatever. I've asked, you know, what book have you read lately? Or do you like to read? And unfortunately, most of them say, no, I don't... We don't really read books anymore. They're looking at the devices and things like that. So I do worry about that. Yes. Um, But I I do feel like as educators, we have to teach students to be lifelong learners and read if if they're going to continue to grow, even as adults. Of course. And look at the example set as well, which I think the corollary question would be, are adults reading for fun? Are you reading for fun? Well, in in my spare time. In your spare time. (laughs) She's like, I'm a busy woman, actually. I do like to read. And and I was thinking about, you know, what genres and what I like to read. I I like to read um, mysteries because I like to be surprised if somebody can surprise me that's good there we go and then I also like to read encouraging things like uh, last year at Gasis we had Steve Pemberton come and he wrote the book The Lighthouse Effect and that's one that I've been I I also like to go back to things I really like and read it over again that's really good of you I tend to read it once and put it down but Mm -hmm. then I'm like what was that quote I should have taken better notes I'm really into fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm reading the book Nothing to See Here. Have you ever read that? I one? haven't read that. I it's an interesting that. premise. It's about some uh, young uh, school friends who reconnect later in life, and 
the friend asks her younger friend to come and watch her two stepchildren who catch fire when they're agitated physically oh, wow. go up in flames. So mm-hmm. I've only made it that far. I've learned that. I have not I've not met the children yet, but it surprises me. And it's interesting because I, I'm around young children these days, and it seems like they could actually burst in flames at any moment. <laughs> it seems like it. What might be the antidote, Beth, is a calming book. You That's know? Right. <laughs> a nice book to read. How long do you think students are reading at night at home? And what, what's being uh, requested or required by, by schools these days? Well, I know we hope that they would read, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on their age. That seems reasonable to mm-hmm. me. About half an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would say at night, I'm probably trying to read like you mm-hmm. when I when I can get it in after a long day staring at a screen. It's funny how adults want the opposite. We look at our screens all day. We want the retreat of a book. That's right. right. I could mm-hmm. do I could do an hour and a half of reading every night, potentially. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, yeah, when when I have when I have time, I love to read. I would say maybe an hour. An hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just something. something I would nice. much rather do that than watch TV. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to end the day. Mm-hmm. Well, for our topic today, we're, we're going to talk about not screens, but screeners <laughs> and interventions and guiding our school's literacy leaders, which you are, Beth. So terminology first, though, what is the difference between a screener and an assessment? That's a great question, because in education, we assess so many things, and each type of assessment has a different value and a different purpose. And so, you know, if you look at it like a menu, the assessments such as the Georgia Milestones assessment or even end-of-unit or end-of-week tests that teachers give, that's to check mastery, to see how our students are doing with our curriculum. But when you look at a screener, it has a completely different purpose, and the purpose of it is to to truly find and analyze the students that may be struggling. Yeah. And in Gordon County, we, we have a universal screener that we give three times a year. And what we do with that information is we are looking for students that have deficits because we you know, research has shown that if we can find that deficit early and fill that gap, then we can help that student be successful. So that's the purpose of a screener. Of a universal screener. Yes. It's, it's not a grade, no. which I think you explained so well. It's not so much about the specifics they're learning in their classroom. It's, it's really trying to produce some data yes. that you can act based on. Yeah. And now legislatively, you know, with our Senate Bill 48, which is our dyslexia bill, and then with our House Bill 538, which is a literacy bill, um, school systems are required to have universal screeners three times a year. And I think that's a great first step because if you look at the data, like we started our conversation right. off with, we have students who are falling through the cracks. Yes. And so it's incredibly important that we find those deficits and we fill those gaps to get those numbers up. Would mm-hmm. you tell me just in brief about each of those bills? Well, I'll try. Okay. The Senate, uh, and I've been pretty involved with both of them. Senate Bill That's 48, um, it is a, it's legislation to support students that may have dyslexia. And with that one, school systems will be required to to give a universal screener three times a year. And then on top of that, one time of year, they're to give a dyslexia screener. And so within that bill, they have um, defined what different terms school systems will need and then also the procedure of how they will give the screener and then provide information to the Georgia Department of Education with that data. And then with, and then not long after that, then we passed our new ELA standards, That was, and we're excited about that, did a lot of work with that, and now we have House Bill 538. And that's the literacy bill, which is similar. It has some similarities and differences to Senate Bill 48, but what that particular bill um, provides is information, again, that we need to give provide a uni- universal screener three times a year, 
and that we have a plan to address students that have deficits in literacy. So we will actually see the word screeners in those bills. Yes. That's what they're talking about. That's right. And you can research this legislation online at the uh, Georgia General Assembly website. You yes. can read those bills for yourself if you're interested. Mm-hmm. How does the universal screener help you, Beth, and other district leaders plan strategically for Gordon County's system, for okay. instance. Um, well, we just um, administered our fall assessments. Um, and so when I look at it at the district level, it's really twofold. You know, we have our current reality. And that's where we meet with our, we've met with all of our elementary schools and we've looked at their data and we've talked about who, you know, let's talk about the kids that are struggling. Let's talk about the teachers that may need support. Yeah. And then we talk about what do we need? You know, do we need to make sure that we're providing more supplementary materials there? What do we need to do? And then the how. How will our schedule change? So all of that is the current reality. But then the other side of that as a district leader, when we give our fall and our winter screeners, I start planning for the next school year in February. And so last year in February, when we looked at our screener information, I, I set three goals. And then when we got our final screener information, I started articulating those goals. And I trained our principals on what we're going to do with those goals. And now we're starting professional learning with our teachers. For example, um, one thing that we noticed in our screener was that we had a large percentage still struggling to blend words. Interesting. And so when we started really analyzing that problem, we noticed that some of our teachers with our tier one um, systematic phonics program, they were taking pieces out of it. And when you take pieces out of it, then you lose the, the, the really the viability of the, of the curriculum. And so our goal was um, we were going to teach that program every day, every part, every day. And so we provided training last spring, we provided training this fall, and we're hoping to see that, we're going to hope to see that in our data, that we're going to have more improved with our blending. So Tell me about blending words, what that means. (laughs) Okay. Um, That just means that when a student um, goes, attacks a word, they're able to blend it completely. And we screen that lots of times with nonsense words, which are simple, just consonant, vowel, consonant words. Interesting. Yes, and we see how well they're able to blend that. And then if they're able, if, if they are not able to do that, then that screener shows a student at risk. If they are able to do it, then we can go a little bit further and see how they're doing with the different phonics patterns. And so. that's what you're trying to detect with the screener yes. in the first place. Mm-hmm. What tools and resources does a teacher use to determine the best intervention, the second mm-hmm. piece of this, for a student after a screener is administered? It, that's a great question, and it is so important yeah. because what we're trying to train our teachers to do, and at the state level what we're talking about, is that when we look at the data, and we determine a deficit, it's incredibly important that the intervention that a teacher chooses to use directly supports the deficit. Right. Like, for example, we've had an issue lots of times it shows up in third or fourth grade as a fluency issue, which means our students aren't reading fluently and accurately enough. And so then what happened was they were putting them in a fluency intervention when actually the issue, the deficit, may be something along the lines of phonological awareness or phonics. Something different. Yes, Mm -hmm. and so it's incredibly important that they learn how to look at the data and connect it to the very best intervention and then monitor their progress. So the screener reveals the best intervention. And like the theme of our episode, Better Together, like peanut butter and jelly, you need screener plus intervention. Mm -hmm. You need both pieces of it. It's the action piece. Um, that you apply to the data. Mm-hmm. Is there an ideal time for administering a screener? I'm thinking of, you know, being a young kid in school and test taking. What cues do you get about when you should versus shouldn't use these tools? Anything you've observed? 
Well, we put together an assessment calendar every year, like everybody else. And so, you know, with a universal screener, we've had a lot of conversations over the years. The fall one is a no-brainer. You know, we know that we're going to do that at the beginning of the school year to get right. that good baseline data. And then for winter, you know, we've gone back and forth. Do we do it before <laughs> Christmas or after, after Christmas? Christmas. <laughs> and so um, for several years, we did it before Christmas. And the beauty of that is that it's a little bit more of a calm time of year. Yeah. I mean, not for kindergarten with Christmas, but, you know, we get it over <laughs> with and then when we get back after Christmas, we are able to look at the data and make decisions and start the new semester off. Um, so, and also I think the time of day is really important. We always start the day with younger kids. So they come in, you know, rested and ready. And we also have to take into consideration one thing that we ran into this year is if, you know, a student's not feeling it that day, we have to respect that. Yeah. And make sure. Point. Mm -hmm. Good point. Because mm -hmm. it almost seems like it's it's a setup for failure mm -hmm. unless they have the right mindset. Yes. To return yeah. And so we really had a lot of a lot of conversations about the relationships that you build with students to get true data. Yeah. And so it's important to take that into consideration. Okay. So do the mm -hmm. teachers then have some le leeway to decide? We have a window of time. Very good. Mm -hmm. okay. And it's a pretty big window of time. That's good. So they so they can they can give the, the students some grace there if that's, they need it. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about MTSS. Mm -hmm. And if you could tell me what this means, that'd be fabulous. <laughs> but how does the MTSS process connect to our topic, screeners and interventions? Okay, MTSS stands for multi-tiered systems of support. And it, it's different tiers. And so when a student may first have characteristics that there's an issue there, we can provide differentiation before they move into the tiers. All students deserve a good quality tier one curriculum. They all deserve that. But if it goes into tier two, that means that you're providing tier one and then services for tier two. And so I've worked very closely um, in the last couple of years with the pilot systems for the dyslexia bill. And we've had a lot of conversations. And one statement that really, really I, I held close was you have to have a strong MTSS process if you want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. You truly want to make a difference. And so the screeners and that data, that is the backbone of everything we do within the MTSS process because that data shows us what intervention and then we have to continue to monitor it to make sure and, and one thing if you have a lot of students that are in the tiers for a long time then you really need to stop and think about what you're doing right and we mean t-i-e-r-s not t-e-a-r-s that's right if we don't want tiers for a long time <laughs> yeah. that's a different situation that's right. <laughs> what is the most important thing for school and district leaders to know about screeners and interventions well, I think the most important thing is that you choose it. Well, in the, well, first of all, the Department of Education, um, they have shared lists and a lot of guidance documents to help systems um, to decide on the screener because they're going to, you know, legislatively, they have to have one now. Right. And so I think it's important that you select a screener that you have the ability, like if it's an online one, you want to make sure that you have the technology and the devices to be able to use it. And then you also want to make sure that you're, you are uh, choosing a screener that you can provide intervention and progress monitoring with. For, yes. For it, yes. And so then one thing that I feel like when I look at other systems as well as Gordon County, you want to make sure your district leaders have a procedure and process in place to look at the data with the schools because you don't want all this wonderful data out there and then never do anything with it. Right. So create a process where you can look at it and talk about it and then provide support. Yes. And I think in terms of the instruction that is going into literacy for kids that you're screening and intervening on, uh, one of the things you said that is so fundamental, just like human beings in our bodies, is having a good diet of literacy mm -hmm. for kids. How can leaders plan a good diet of literacy, and what is it, in your opinion? Okay, well, you know, there's a lot um, 
I read about it every day. You know, structured literacy is the big thing right now with literacy. Structured literacy. Structured literacy. And it goes back into the science of reading. And um, I do believe that all of our students deserve a structured literacy plan where they are systematically receiving phonics phonics instruction, but also starting with a phonological awareness piece. Letters and sounds. That's right. The sounds of letters. That's incredibly important. Um, And then along with that, I believe that students deserve a chance to have to learn how to have choice in what they're interested in reading. That's a good point Mm -hmm. because they do have some sort of compass within them. That's right. In terms Mm -hmm. of what they like. Mm -hmm. And if you don't if you don't allow students to have choice, then some of them are just going to choose not to read. And so we have to give them choice. That's going to be their choice. You know, and raising two boys, they (laughs) read things that are different. Yeah. You know, than girls. And also, I think it's incredibly important that you teach students to think through what they're reading. And so along with that systematic phonics piece, there's also the importance of learning how to comprehend and think through and analyze And so if you look at the diet there, you want to make sure that your students are able to uh, lift print off the page and decode, but then also think about what they're reading. So Lift print off the page. That's an incredible visual. (laughs) You speak so fluently yourself, Beth. I love it. Your mom taught you. Uh, She was in education, Mm -hmm. right? Tell me about your family story around education. Okay. Um, I definitely come from a family of educators. My mom taught for 32 and a half years. She, She started out in high school as a home ec teacher, and then she used to laugh and say she got demoted to elementary but she loved (laughs) elementary and so she um, was the first of her family to go to college and so you know that was something that was very important for her for my sister and I and so when we were getting ready to go to college uh, she said you know girls education is a great career to go into you make a difference in people's lives it's fun it's a great retirement system but y'all if you want to do something different that's okay and so Becky and I both went to college. Becky was a journalism major, and I was a, I wanted to do something with social worker counseling. But then at one point, you know, when you're getting ready to truly decide what your major is, we sat down and we started thinking about, you know, we were both Rocky Eagle counselors. We worked with kids and taught kids all summer long. Of course, 4-H baby. Yeah, and then, you know, any job I had, like, one time I waited tables. I ended up being the trainer when the new people came in. I had been teaching my whole life. Even when we were kids, you know, we would, in the summer, we would have the cats sitting in a circle, and we were teaching them to read, <laughs> trying not to put How them in timeout. How far did you get with that, by the way? <laughs> did, did they learn to read, the cats? They were, you know, no, they did not. Oh, and no. It's no testament to your work. <laughs> the biggest goal was to keep them out of timeout. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we at one point we realized, you know, education is in our soul. That's where it is, and that's what we want to do, and that's who we want to be. It's where your compass was Mm -hmm. directing you, and it's where you are now, and you are still training and leading (laughs) in a literacy capacity. Mm -hmm. One of the things your mom said to you that I think is my favorite thing Mm -hmm. um, from that educators should remember forever, Mm -hmm. and it's this powerful. Uh, What did she tell you about a pendulum being an image for the field of education. Yeah, so she when um, she passed away a couple of years ago, she had Alzheimer's. But before that, we had lots of conversations about education. And I can remember at times, because over the course of 26 years, I've seen the state curriculum change several times. I've seen the way we teach reading is changing. And I and some and the change is good, but sometimes it's not easy. Yeah. You know, and I would talk to her about it and she would say, you know, Beth, there's a pendulum in education. It goes back and forth and sometimes it goes forward and backwards. And you just have to learn from those things and hold on to what you believe in. Because, you know, at the end of the day, our focus should be our students. And if we do that, then we're going to be successful and our students are going to be successful. That's so. right. I love, I love mm-hmm. that advice. I love that metaphor. Mm-hmm. And what does it tell you about what we can tell teachers 
based on that metaphor. What are your final words? Um, I think what I would like to, to express to teachers is to um, be open, be lifelong learners. You know, I do think that the change that's happening is good change, you know, with reading and different things that are happening, you know, in the landscape of literacy across our state. Um, be responsive and reflective. You know, look at where your students are. Think about what they need. Um, know when to slow down. But, you know, most importantly, just continue to be a lifelong learner, and it's going to be okay. You know, it's not an easy job, but they're making a lot of difference and a lot of change. Yeah, so. it's not easy, but it's rewarding. It is. Mm-hmm. We hear that often here. Beth, I'm so glad we had you here today to talk about this. And as a leader yourself, I want you to kind of leave your parting message for the leaders out there as well across the state and their districts. What do you have to say to them? Okay, well, specifically, I think making decisions about screeners and interventions, I think it's important for leaders to uh, get a good idea of where they are in their system with their data to make solid decisions about what type of screener they want to provide for their students and then the interventions. Um, I think also after you do that, it's incredibly important that you support your teachers so they understand the why of those decisions. So if I were going to support a brand new curriculum director in making these decisions, I would definitely want to have a conversation about what their data currently looks like and then also look at the guidance that we're receiving as far as what a good screener looks like and then they're also going to have to financially think about what they can afford in their school system and then put procedures in place to be able to administer the screener three times a year and then most even more importantly after that how they plan on looking at that data after the screener has been administered. Beth, you put the lit in literacy. Has anybody ever told you that? (laughs) No. Well, I'm telling you, thank you for being so on fire for what you do. You're a great leader. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And you're a great teacher. Continuing to apply our conversations to your classroom wherever you are. We love our listenership. So much so, it's time for your late in the season screener inspired by Beth Harrod. Are you gleaning valuable, applicable information from this content? Yes or no? Second, can you name a few salient takeaways that have bettered your work and education from our prior episodes? If you can't, why don't you go back and explore our wonderful cast of characters speaking on all education matters under the Georgia sun in seasons one through now. They're there waiting for you. And third and finally, what discourse are you craving right now to make your work in your classroom better? We want to corral the experts and bring that topic straight to you. Just email your suggestion to education at gpb.org. We'll be sure to intervene. See what I did there? It's been a pleasure as usual. I'm Ashley Mingwasser. Bye-bye from Beth, and I'll be back to you next week with more Classroom Conversations. Goodbye for now. Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant. 